0: lives in rural Utah with his father. Ken was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma in October, 2020 to remove the cancer. He had 20% of his tongue removed as well as lymph nodes in his neck. Approximately three months later, Ken's father was diagnosed with melanoma. I really appreciate Ken you coming on today and sharing not only your story, but also your father's story.
1: Thank you for having me. I am, I, it's a, I think it's just important to share our stories around our experiences, especially with cancer, because like, I didn't know where to turn. I had zero idea.
0: Yeah, so unfortunately, I'm familiar with squamous cell carcinoma because my step-grandfather, Um, Died from it. He was diagnosed very late. Um, He was actually misdiagnosed with an abscess tooth um, but he ended up having a tumor the size of a lemon Mm -hmm. on uh, The right part of his neck Um, and just you know By the time he got to the right doctor and everything it was just it was too late however, he was not 46 years old like you he was 82 so um, He was at peace with it. So tell us how did you even know you know, what were the symptoms or what were you experiencing that led to the diagnosis?
1: Sure. My cancer story started probably two and a half years ago when my uh, dental hygienist was cleaning my teeth, and which apparently is super common, I found out later, uh, to have it, you know, f- found by a dentist or a hygienist. So uh, she found a little tiny it looked like a calcium buildup on the underside of my tongue. And okay. she said, I'm going to have the dentist look at this, and then we'll let you know. Well, he didn't say anything. So I thought, oh, I'm fine. I'm It's nothing. Um, a couple years later, it was still there. And I thought, hmm, if it's just a calcium deposit, I can brush it off. And so I was brushing my teeth. I brushed it. It. I made it really angry. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really angry. Um, it got inflamed, and Ooh. I thought, if this doesn't go down in like two weeks, I'm going to go see a doctor because I think i i have um, I have a chance that it could be cancer. But no, no one wants to think about that. You never want to think about it being cancer. But uh, was it painful
0: my, at this point?
1: Very painful. It would keep okay. me up at night. Mm. Absolutely, even uh, like. Ibuprofen, nothing handled it. Nothing cut it down at all. Nothing. Um, so it didn't go away. And I made an appointment with uh, one of our um, physicians here, uh, went through the whole rigmarole. And because I had um, over a decade ago used chewing tobacco, he was pretty sure I had cancer. So he goes, I'm not even going to do anything. I'm gonna send you to an oral surgeon. The first doctor's appointment was October 1st. And the second doctor's appointment was October 7th. So uh, that was my sister's birthday. So you can't really ruin her birthday party with I have cancer. Um, so I went, he, I was literally there five minutes, and he said, I'm going to immediately refer you to someone else. I can biopsy it, but I know what it is. So I went out into my car and I cried a little, a lot, um, and a week later I met with the doctor who, um, ended up doing my surgery. Yeah. at that point I hadn't told anyone. Um,
0: what you had told anyone?
1: My mother passed away unexpectedly right before COVID lockdown. So March of 2020. And, um, I had been living in Oregon. I moved back to live with my. With my dad, because I knew this was going to be hard. W- without COVID, it was going to be tough. Right. And uh, my sister had asked me also, "Can you come? Because I'm going to need help. I can't do this by myself." And he's he's an able-bodied, works forty hours a week, seventy-six year old. So like he was didn't need a lot of care. And so we had gone through that. It was my sister's birthday. Um it just never seemed like the right time. And I also thought to myself, why am I, I just couldn't, first of all, face, looking at my dad's face the minute I told him, because he'd been through so much already. Um, second, I never felt like I had enough information. Because the first time you say it, people are gonna be like, Oh, what's your treatment? What's your treatment plan? What are you going to do? And until like, I don't know, the 20th of October last year, I didn't even know what the plan was. So I had Uh like three solid weeks of, I have zero idea how to answer people's questions when it comes to, well, what kind of cancer is it? What stage are you in? What are they going to do? How are you going to handle this? So none of that I had answers to, and I felt like it would be undue stress on my family to put them through that. And it would just be better if I had the answers. So like, what's one more week? That's kind of what I, what what I found. So it was very difficult to tell them. Um, I sat everyone down and uh, I saw the look on my dad's face that I didn't want to see. That was probably one of the toughest moments in this whole process. The, the surgery, you can recover from. Um, I went through speech therapy for six weeks to be able to relearn how to, how to speak and, uh, clearly. And that was honestly the toughest part of this whole thing was telling my dad and seeing like the sheer, like, I don't even know what emotions he was feeling, but it was just I, like, again, like we just went through this with my mom and it was unexpected. No one saw it coming and it was, yeah, I saw it. I had to see it again. His heartbreak. That's what it was. It was his heartbreak all over again. That was tough yeah so i told them all um i ended up having surgery um like the week before thanksgiving so i was rolling up mashed potatoes and stuffing and popping it to the back of my throat to swallow it by that (laughs) by that time i just i was hungry and we were not missing thanksgiving so uh from there i just started to recover so um january i started um speech therapy which was uh, amazing and amazingly helpful
0: so i'm gonna pause you for just a second so you did not have any chemotherapy or radiation
1: no wow. so in my surgery they took out 20 percent of my tongue the front left part um and about um just under 40 lymph nodes on the left side of my neck uh the doctor said depending on what your um test results come back for those lymph nodes is whether or not we're going to do um radiation or chemotherapy got it they all came back negative so uh i didn't have to have chemotherapy or radiation which i'm really really grateful for um yeah i found out later that someone who lived kind of kitty corner from us um in the small town i live in she ended up having the same cancer and um she has since passed away, um, so I do feel very lucky, and uh, and and blessed that uh, I'm doing as well as I'm doing.
0: It sounds like they caught it, even though there was a, a big gap there between um when the dental hygienist first saw it and you were actually diagnosed. It sounds like it was still very early stage. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, it hadn't spread anywhere else but right there, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I was. We caught it early,
0: and if you hadn't told me, I would have no idea that you had had twenty percent of your tongue cut out, like none whatsoever. So, um, this spe- yeah, you. the speech therapy must have done wonders. So now, your dad, tell me yeah. about your dad's diagnosis.
1: Okay, so with my cancer, I have to go back every three months for three years. Okay. So, uh, March of this year, 2021, I went back and I had my first scans and they came back clear.
0: Yay. No, nothing
1: <laughs> anywhere. Yay. <laughs> and then like the next week, your dad has melanoma and he has to go see, we're sending him to the Huntsman Cancer Institute, which we didn't really know at the time. That's where we were headed, but the doctor ended Wait, up being there that we ba- were referred back
0: up. to. Did he have a mole? Like what, what? What in the world?
1: It So he's had, because he's like a little toe as a kid and they grew up out in the, we grew up out in the rural Utah. Um, there was zero sunscreen back in the forties, right? And fifties and uh, he didn't wear a hat. So he's for years now had small um, like basal cells removed and it's never been a big deal. He found on the top of his head uh, a spot that had, if you were to look at the round of his head, it came up off the top of his head, like a little volcano and it, it got, it was big by the time he made it to the doctor, it was, so big. it was
0: protruding. He
1: had just kind of ignored it. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Wow.
1: Cause there's nowhere for it, I guess, to go down. Yeah. So at first it goes up. He knew about this last October, November, when I was going through my cancer, And he had tried to get into his doctor and he didn't really make it clear enough what was happening. (laughs) I, unfortunately, because he waited until February, the next week we found all that out. And he went for the test, the biopsy, they found out it's melanoma. And, um, I just didn't know what to do. I was like, you can't make this up because it's just to real. And, uh, so we went to the Huntsman Cancer Institute, which, um, it's in Salt Lake. Yep. Salt Lake city. So it's about an hour away from us for a commute, which is nothing compared to what many people travel. Um, luckily he was able to get into a study that was giving, um, Keytruda, which is an an approved drug immunotherapy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they gave it to them before to see if they could get their bodies to attack the cancer. He's like, yes, I'll do it. His cancer surgery will end up, it'll be July 13th of this year. Um, He went through three of the immunotherapy treatments and um, last time we had a scan, they said we don't see any trace of an active tumor anymore. It within three days began to shrink um, and is now like completely gone so it's been the most amazing experience to see how modern medicine can really work with some of these cancers and so he they're they're still going to remove um some of it of the skin and then do a skin graft so he'll have to have plastic surgery after i just we could not have been any more um lucky blessed whatever fill in the blank word for you um (laughs) with this and it's been a hell of a year. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then just let's throw a little COVID in just to top it off. Oh man.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I want to
0: go back to something you said in case people don't understand. So basal cell carcinoma is what a lot of people call the good skin cancer. Um, It's usually not deadly and it's just like Ken said, you know, they often just cut out the pieces and my father too grew up in the same time period and he's had probably three little pieces cut off his face of basal cell carcinoma. Melanoma is the one that if in later stages, um, can in fact be, um, terminal, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I'm so intrigued. Did they tell you why they didn't do surgery first?
1: The doctor that referred us up to the Huntsman asked us the same thing when my dad had to go have um, a mo's surgery. Um, So a skin cancer taken off his face and then they gave us an opportunity. They wanted to get it done as quickly as possible, but because of his test results, he was a very good candidate for this immunotherapy working. Um, they had another patient in the in the trial that had almost as good of results as my my father, and I guess there's it's so scientific. Like it was even like genetic, like genetically your cancer is so different from your regular cell that that makes it easier for your normal cells to recognize that something's wrong and attack those. And I'm like, I would never have thought of like, these people are so brilliant with what they do. I'm glad because also, so the size of the cancer, it would have probably been, had they just done surgery to make sure they removed all the edges, which are, you know, they want to make sure they have all the cancer cells rounded up. They literally probably would have had to have done like a a circle, probably like, six inches in diameter they would have taken almost the the whole in top of his head off so it would have been super invasive i know this played into our whole experience but my mom passing away so recent i think at one point he was ready to go he's like okay i'm done i i i really don't know how to live without her and i don't know that i want to and so if this is how i go this is how i go so i think part of it for him was also like you know what well, let's do the study. Like, I got nothing to lose. I've already lost my wife of 48 years. I'm I'm done, you know? Um, we never spoke about that really openly. I know it was there. I know it, it was a thread in that tapestry that we... Did you and
0: your sister in. ever talk about it?
1: She told me he's had conversations with her about um, wanting to be kind of done, wanting to go, Uh, he and I have never had those conversations, um, but I also, uh, don't push the conversations. Um, like I asked him when we finally found out it was melanoma, we were in the car and I said, how are you feeling? And he just turned and looked at me. He goes, you've been through this. You know how I'm feeling. And I was like, I do. So. It was almost like I didn't, I never needed to n- ask him uh, because I had literally just yeah. been through it. And that that um, kind of connection, that kind of synchronicity of understanding was is what we have. And so I'm the primary caregiver. We live in the same house. So I take him to all of his doctor's appointments. Um, I make sure we are taking all of our pills and we're trying to eat better and you know, no more beers, like all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so I think that's where like our relationships differ a little bit is maybe he feels um comfortable talking to her about that.
0: You made this very rapid transition from being a patient and still, you know, technically not out of the woods, to being a caregiver right. for a patient for your dad. What was that yep. like?
1: Going from patient to caregiver was an interesting transition because after having just gone through the concept of I don't have anyone to talk to, um, I went straight into my A type A personality, making a list, making sure everything physically is taken care of. I kind of forgot the emotional part. like taking time to just sit and, I don't know, watch Hogan's Heroes, which is what he does, you know, every night. Like, taking time to just sit and do those things. Um, Just be peaceful, not always have somewhere to go or something to do or a doctor's appointment to talk about. Um, So it was very easy for me to transition into taking care of, but I didn't do such a great job, I think, about being um, aware of the emotional and maybe even... Mental uh, things that I needed to take care of as well, um, and that's probably the thing I would, you know, kind of go back and do a little differently um, with him.
0: My sister called it just being, and I remember this mo moment in her cancer journey. I was her caregiver and legal guardian. Which it was just a horrible round of chemo, and we were stuck there much longer in the hospital than we should have been. But I took her outside. Um, in a wheelchair and it was the first time we had been outside in over a week and we were just we just wanted to get outside and I was talking and she said I just want to be and so we just it was just quiet and we just sat outside in front of Children's Hospital Los Angeles watching the traffic and you know she just needed that that time yeah you know, she really just and with me but not talking just being. So I can totally relate to that. And I am a type A personality and I did all the things that you just said. (laughs) And I think to some degree, and tell me what you think. For me, when I was the caregiver for my sister, I was in what I would call a healthy state of denial. I had all these premonitions that ended up coming true. Um, She didn't make it. She did die. She was diagnosed in stage 4. But on the surface, I had this sort of healthy state of denial because it was the only way I could continue to function and make sure her needs were met day in, day out. Did you experience anything like that?
1: First of all, thank you for saying premonition. I love that you brought that. I I love that that was part of your experience because I think that we often, um, Deny that communication from ourselves um, to truly know what's going on. I was still, yeah, I was in denial. Like, I, my mom was so unexpected. And now to sit and potentially watch him decline was not on my to do list for the day, <laughs> you know? It just that was that was at the really? very bottom of the dang list. So I was gonna check every box and that was gonna make him better. And and that was luckily luckily they have their own checklists at the Huntsman Cancer Institute because just doing mine probably I like that
0: not- though. I'm gonna steal that. Watching you decline was just not on my checklist. <laughs> it wasn't on
1: I think that's a really, you know, like, I don't know, maybe a great way of putting, taking denial out of the (laughs) the situation. (laughs) But yeah, like, I I think I do not look things up on the internet. I do not try and self diagnose because I feel like for me, uh, that just leads to me spinning out and I don't have the appropriate information. I know that there are some great resources out there, but I, um, and that's probably one of the other things I would do better is ask more questions. Like I didn't really know what to ask, but I would have asked more questions. Um, but I know that there are some great resources out there for emotional support for supporters of people who are having cancer or people who do have cancer. And that's another thing I wish I would have done a little differently. Um,
0: was it harder, being the patient or was it harder being the caregiver?
1: Caregiver for me, absolutely.
0: That's what I hear every time. Yep. Every single time. Oh, really? Every single time.
1: I I had great support. Really the biggest thing to upkeep at the moment when I was just after surgery was my pain medication so that I could rest and get get some some sleep and, and start to heal for me I got to lie in bed and watch Netflix <laughs> for like 3 weeks. Like I was done. I mean, I think my let's see, my surgery I think was on the 20th of November. My friends had done a benefit to help with my expenses on December oh, 5th. Wow. So that was what. 2 weeks later, I'm like I'm going. I will be damned if I don't go and I made it. If I could look back to the Facebook live that we did I would be interested to listen to myself because i've come so far and like i have four podcasts so i cannot not speak like this was that was never that was not an option in this whole ordeal i cannot come out of this not being able to speak and um that was a big deal for me i could not come out of this not being able to sing which i haven't I hadn't done in a long time, but I didn't realize how important it was to me to be able to use my voice. So like at that point I got on before cancer, I got on TikTok, bless our little souls. but um, And it was like, you know, what? I don't care. I'm going to sing. And this is, this is just what I need to do because this might be the last time I get to do it. And I did it. I think one of the things I've really taken away from my experience is that if this is the last time I really get to do whatever I'm doing right now, I'm going to damn well enjoy it. And I'm going to make the most of it because it really might be the last time. And I don't live like I'm dying tomorrow, but I'm going to live like I'm living, not just getting by.
0: Oh, I love that. What was your worst moment? And you can decide whether it was your dad or you, you but what was your worst moment?
1: I think I've, I've kind of hit upon a couple of them, but I will say that the one one of my worst moments in this um, was when my friends had got together to do a benefit. Um, our whole community came together. It was really um, one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced to that amount of support. Mm-hmm. But some stuff went down and a couple of my friends didn't speak after that. And it took a few months for them to be able to speak again. To you,
0: to talk to you? and.
1: to to them, to each other. Like they had gotten in arguments and like stuff went down. Yeah, it was, it was, that was one of the worst things that had came out of it for me. And everything, everyone's fine now, but there were moments where I said, you know what, whatever you raised for me, whatever you did, I would gladly give it back for you guys to not have gone through that. And that's, that was one of the other really tough moments for me. Cause really up until maybe just a month or a month and a half ago, a couple of them still didn't speak and now they've pulled their heads out. And (laughs) I would rather have died than you guys go through that. Like, I don't want to see that. And that was not meant to happen. So can you get your shit together?
0: Good for you, yeah. I mean, and that's just like, that's not any stress that you needed either. I mean, no. what was your best moment?
1: Probably the best moment um, for me, that I have is just when, I mean, not that, because it, it's such a big deal to me. When people say to me, I, I wouldn't, I would never have known that you uh, have, have lost part of your tongue. I can't tell. That's because I worked so, so hard uh, to get that back. And that is one of my best moments. And um, just the fact that with my dad, to have five or six years ago with the melanoma that he had, they would have just told him, you know, go home and get your affairs in order. But because, excuse oh, me, fine. because of all the advancements that we have in science and the immunotherapy, like we're going to be golfing this <laughs> fall and we're going to be golfing next year. And just to have that go away, that remission whatever we want to call it was probably like the most joyful moment. Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh gosh. Oh that's so beautiful and um and so well said. Oh, excuse me. You mentioned this already, but I just want to be sure everyone heard you. What yeah. is one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey?
1: I wish I would have known What questions to ask? So um, critical. And not that you can know it until you go through it. But with mine and my dad, I would like to, if you're going through this and you're listening, um, one of the best questions I feel like I missed was, okay, now that we're done, what can I expect in the next two to two weeks to a month? What do I need to do? This is for him. Yeah. diet-wise? What do I need to do yeah. exercise-wise? What can I expect to see or maybe is rare, but what what effects could happen? Just to prepare me for the healing process uh, and him, I think that would have been the one question I would have asked. Like, really, what does the next two to four weeks look like? And what can I expect?
0: I think that is amazing. And I don't think that is specific only to you. Okay. I love asking this question. I have no idea what to expect from you. If you could only do one thing, just one to improve healthcare in the U S what would it be and why?
1: I think I would have to say we need more skilled practitioners in the field of medicine. Um, And I say that because it took my dad an extra two months to get into the doctor. Um, I have another friend who I was just speaking about this with the other day. She wanted to get into the doctor. It's November. What? um, Before she can get in. (laughs) The Huntsman Cancer Institute and the University of Utah Hospital, they've done amazing things to work with my dad and getting him like in and taking care of as quickly as possible. But there are times when I, we, in the middle of his whole cancer, this is another too good to be true. Um, he ended up with, um, I think they called it a fistula from his colon into his bladder. So just recently he had to go and have a part of his colon taken out before this whole cancer thing could be rectified. And, um, that was going to take a month to get into surgery for that. So he can't sleep, he has, uh, you know, constant feeling of urination because of the fistula and he can't eat or drink anything. Like it's just, it, it, it fast and rapidly, it rapidly decreased his stamina for life and his, yeah, it's been really tough. So I think I would really change that part of it. I would like to see more people in the healthcare profession, um, as well as it it being something that's more accessible monetarily yeah. to people.
0: We're gonna have a huge shortage of primary care physicians in the next few years. or I think it actually is the next, next decade because when people yep. graduate uh, from medical school, you don't make nearly as much money being a pediatrician or a primary care physician. You know, you go into a specialty so you can actually pay back that medical school debt. It's really critical. Um, and just so people re- understand talking about your friend, not being able to be seen till November at the time of this recording, it's the beginning of July. So your friend cannot see her doctor for yeah. over four months. And that's just total bullshit. Yep. Yeah. It just is
1: yes thank you uh absolutely i i do think like um if there were anything that was really seriously like let's throw money at the the government throwing money at this it would be to get really skilled people through school and they don't have to pay it back like there's there's you don't have to pay that medical school back or, or like half of it or something. Cause it, it just is, it's really, we're outpricing ourselves in every aspect of our lives. Well,
0: actually I think it started with yeah. Yale, a donor. Um, he waited until they were at the medical school graduation and then told them that he was paying their, their loans off. So I think it started with, with, wow. with this major donor at Yale, but I know it's trickling out to other universities because my alma mater USC, not South Carolina, University of Southern California, um, I believe no longer charges for med school if you qualify. So you don't have to take out loans or anything. Of course, the competition is even more fierce, but at least you can go to medical school, graduate and not have any debt and perhaps go into one of those other, like a primary care physician or pediatrician or general practitioner and, and not have to be in a specialty, you know, just because you need the money.
1: I think that's amazing. I I would love to see more of that because there are so many, I do think also because, um, not that it didn't happen in every generation, but I do feel like some of the younger folk, they really care and they want to do good and they want to to give back and they want to be of service. Sometimes it's, it's not affordable in the system that we have now. So I love hearing what you just said, because it's so needed. You know just my experiences with my dad with the research and with it's just an amazing thing i'm sure to on the daily save someone's life
0: we're gonna do the thriver rapid fire but first the people listening to the podcast do not see this video only members of cancer you see the video so i want you to describe your face for the people who are listening to the podcast
1: if you were to like take like brad pitt and then not that would be me um so my my face is heavily tattooed my body is as well i have um a blue tattoo in the middle of my forehead that are um it was it's what i call a bind rune other people would call that too. I didn't just make that up. Um, so they're symbols from um, pre-Christian Northern Europe. So um, it really helps connect me to um, my unbridled, like deprogrammed self. So it's to, to really helped me connect to just who I am. Um, I do have a blue tattoo of a a red stag from the British Isles on my forehead as well as um, nine roots which connect to the world tree in Norse and Anglo-Saxon cosmology. On my right side, on the left side, it's Celtic knotwork and it's uh, the roots of a tree. If I were to take off my hat that I have on now, um, there's a triple spiral that is carved into the rock at Newgrange in Ireland. Um, That takes up a good portion of the left side of my head and then The rest of my head is covered in, um, there's uh, like a bear, a stag, a raven, uh, an owl, um, a couple of bear, a couple of their animals. And they're all actually uh, rock carvings from the Pictish people, which were the uh, native uh, people of Scotland. So uh, all of them connect to my ancestry and my heritage. And Ah. uh, that's, that's... and I have like this
0: giant- You're running out of real estate though. (laughs)
1: Um, I, and I've been like, also, you know, cancer, like I, it made me want to like get into shape. I'm going to like fit by 50, (laughs) like whatever I'm going to try. And so I've lost weight. And so now like my whole thing in the past was if I just eat more, I get more real estate to have tattoos. Cause I thought, well, I am running out of space. So I just eat a little more. Cause heaven knows, like I love like deep fried chicken strips and French fries and all that stuff, which I don't really eat anymore. But I love them, I was thickening up pretty good <laughs> before I started working out and dropped 20 pounds. Yeah.
0: All right. You ready? Thank Drive you. a rapid fire. All right. Here we go. Beach, yes. desert yep. or mountains? Mountains. Beach boys, beetles or rolling stones? Beach boys. Oh, I did not see that coming. I thought it was oh, really? be one of the other two. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. What is one word that best describes you?
1: Oh, resilient.
0: And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: Oh, "Pontoon" by Little Big Town. Very
0: cool. It's, I need to make a, yeah. a playlist. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Everyone, no one's given me the same song twice, so that's really interesting. Last meal you want to eat?
1: Deep fried chicken strips <laughs> with barbecue sauce. Right. Uh, hand cut French fries, deep fried with fry sauce. Mm-hmm. And a Dr. Pepper with um, coconut and <laughs> vanilla.
0: <laughs> You're like me. Like I would just be everything that's bad for me and I can't have right now. I would totally do the same. Yeah, thing. Um, yes. Why not, right? I, I'm
1: kind of surprised <laughs> I had thought it out that much because I looked at the question and I thought, hmm, what would I have? And be- apparently I my inner self has its own little menu ready to go. <laughs> it
0: does. It does. Um the last person or people you want to see. Hmm.
1: That is an interesting question, and it was supposed to be rapid fire. And <laughs> I, it's okay. Um, you know, I, my family, of course, but I think the the um, my my dog, who's been through this whole thing with me and slept with me every moment of the time and is my little protector and guardian uh, Henry Aww. he's the one who will be with me I I hope or I'll be with him when we both one of us passes and uh, he'll be the one that uh, I'm connected to for sure.
0: Oh God that's so sweet I love dogs I love the last words you will speak
1: hmm. I'll see you in a little bit.
0: I like it. I like it. And aside from cancer, you what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers,
1: wherever you're going or wherever you work, those cancer institutes and those hospitals have so many resources. You just have to ask, um, we, we were visited by social workers every time we went in asking if we needed anything. And, um, I would say, they're there. So use them. They're your resource and you don't have to go anywhere else. You're already there.
0: A lot of people find out very late that the resources existed and no one told them. So I think that's great advice just to ask. Ken, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing not only your story, but also your dad's and again, at the time of this recording, this is July, 2021. And so Ken is very much still in it. <laughs> and, and so is his dad. And so we, we wish your father good luck on his surgery.
1: Thank you. And thank you for, thank you for having me. I, one of the things I had done was started a podcast called no one has time for death. And it was anonymous. It chronicled my everything I was going through, because like I said earlier, I didn't have anyone to talk to. So the only thing I knew how to do was start a podcast and I did it anonymously. And I didn't even care if anyone listened to it, but it's what I went through. And I just needed to get it out. Yeah, I'm super grateful that that what you have going is helping people. And I wish I would have known back then about it. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing.
0: Oh, well, you're welcome. And would you please send me a link to your podcast so we could yeah. put that in the show notes and everything? Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Rivers podcast. Real people, true stories.